0: Welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first podcast to bring you insurance news and an inside perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies and is sponsored this week by BPAY, the total payment solution. I'm Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering a dangerous business interruption mandate is struck down in the District of Columbia. Why council members agreed to remove it from their latest coronavirus relief legislation. Plus, insurance allies in Congress. How federal lawmakers show support for industry contracts and the Constitution. And workers' compensation in the era of COVID-19. We talk with the president and CEO of Munich about the exposure for frontline employees and the industry. A mandate that would force insurers to retroactively pay business interruption claims has been removed by the District of Columbia City Council. Previous versions of the Coronavirus Omnibus Emergency Amendment Act included overreaching language to cover BI claims regardless of the language of coverage exclusions and agreed terms. D.C. City Council member Mary Che expressed reservations about the business interruption provisions. So I know that even while we would have a good argument, it's not a slam dunk by any means, and the insurance companies would have a good argument. So not only might it be tied up in the courts, but I'm also worried about those businesses that will try to take the policies that they have, and instead of making, you know, uh, instead of having a reliance on what we do now and arguing in favor of its constitutionality they also have an argument, an interpretive argument, about what their policies actually cover. And I'm worried that that also will get bound up in this fight over uh, whether we do this and its constitutionality. The work done in D.C. didn't come without the help of congressional insurance industry allies. Representative Ralph Norman, a member of the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee, sent a letter to the D.C. Council chairman highlighting the harmful nature of this type of legislation and asked that the policy be tabled. After hearing the objections, the chairman agreed to remove the business interruption section of the bill. But NAMIC Regional Vice President Andrew Kirchner says the fight isn't over yet.
1: I think it's absolutely safe to assume that the members of the D.C. City Council will take another crack at trying to pass some type of retro uh, business interruption coverage mandate. I also think it's safe to assume that they'll take a little bit different tact uh, in in approaching it. I mean, we've seen different proposals across the country. Uh, A recent one out of Pennsylvania is perhaps uh, most concerning, not in terms of passing in Pennsylvania, but in terms of uh, a bad idea getting some momentum. Uh, That bill would uh, essentially – redefine many of the important uh, policy terms included in an insurance policy. Uh, so instead of mandating coverage, they would simply redefine the terms inside of an agreed to insurance contract. So we're obviously very concerned about that. I think what we heard last week uh, from the council, though, was uh, an encouraging sign that they'll look to any retroactive business interruption proposals through a constitutional lens. Um In addition to Councilmember Che, who is a constitutional law scholar, uh, we heard a number of other council members express concerns about the constitutionality of uh, mandating coverage and also uh, an indication that the the council would like to see how the court process uh, played out before acting and not open itself up to uh, any liability on that front. So I'd say those are encouraging um, items. Uh, and then finally, you know, D.C. is a small jurisdiction, um, you know, the population is is not huge and while there are uh, many businesses in the district, you know, it's certainly not the insurance marketplace uh, from a, a size standpoint that some of the larger states in the country are uh, California, Pennsylvania, Ohio. Uh, Etc. Um, but what what is um, you know concerning and why DC matters is that it's essentially um, you know we're trying to hold the wall we're trying to hold the line on business interruption policies. Um, there's a concern that once one jurisdiction passes something like this, um, others may be close behind uh, on similar efforts. And you know while we're while we're More than convinced that it would be unconstitutional, that these proposals that would rewrite insurance contracts would be unconstitutional. You know, there's always the concern um, that there's some exposure to insurers and at a minimum, there's the cost of litigating, um, you know, against these bad mandates. Uh, that would would impact not only insurers, but the policyholders of our mutual members.
0: Moving forward, NAMIC will continue to fight against business interruption mandate proposals across the country in order to protect the sanctity of the insurance contract. The International Association of Insurance Supervisors is also sounding the alarm on potential negative ramifications of forcing insurers to retroactively cover COVID-19-related business interruption claims. The group issued a statement cautioning that BI initiatives, quote, could create material solvency risks and significantly undermine the ability of insurers to pay other types of claims. The statement goes on to explain how these proposals could threaten policyholder protection and financial stability. Lastly, the association acknowledges that the global pandemic has highlighted the limits on the types of coverage that can reasonably be offered by the insurance sector alone and, quote, encourages efforts seeking potential solutions to protect businesses and individuals. Just as business interruption mandates would collapse commercial insurance markets, so would many workers' compensation mandate proposals collapse that specialty insurance market. On today's Unscripted, our Chuck Chamniss talks with Mimic president and CEO Mike Bork about dangerous attempts by some policymakers to force the workers' compensation system to do something it was never intended to do.
2: Well, our guest today on Insurance Unscripted is Michael Bork, president and CEO of Mimic. Mimic's a Portland based workers' compensation insurer, and of course, a Mimic member. You know, we know. Work comp's a hot topic now as claims related to the COVID-19 pandemic are increasing, expected to increase. Um, there's a variety of impacts on the on the comp market. So, Mike, thanks for joining us today to talk a little bit about it. It's a pleasure to be with you here from Portland, Maine. Love Portland, Maine. Beautiful place. So, um, you know, as we talk about the workplace exposure of you know, the coronavirus that um, is so much an issue in this pandemic, and we know then the work comp claims that are being driven by it. Uh, you write, well, you, you're you based in Maine, but you write throughout the uh, New England Northeast. Have you seen trends around uh, COVID exposure and, and uh, you know, impact on the comp system that you can talk about today?
3: Sure, I'd be happy to. We, we certainly have seen the impact. Um, and there, it comes at us from a few different ways, but I'll start uh, with the claims. Um, you know, we insure uh, employees in all industries in Maine, and uh, actually specialize a bit in healthcare up and down the East Coast. So we've we've uh, we've certainly taken uh, uh, a hit in terms of the number of claims we've seen, uh, about 800 or so. Although about half of those are really exposure claims, where an employer has reported that somebody may have been exposed an employee may have been exposed at work to to somebody who has the virus uh, so there's really not necessarily a full disease that's uh, manifested itself or even shown they've sort of there's kind of placeholder claims that said uh the other half to 400 or so um we've found uh, many of them of healthcare workers some um, occasional first responders or ambulance uh um, uh, transport folks um, have contracted the disease, and it does appear to us to be at work. Um, it has to, of course, arise out of, or be in the course of, in order to be a uh, compensable workers, compensation, uh, compensation injury, arise out of, or in the course of your work, is, is how you would have to um, be able to, to have received the virus, or to have uh, had proof that you did. Um, that could be a, a little difficult to, to understand, but certainly in the terms of the, the healthcare folks and the first responders, they are being exposed and are getting, uh, are getting the disease. We've sadly had uh, three death claims to this point um, uh, for people in the Mid-Atlantic region, which, of course, Mid-Atlantic has been hit pretty hard. Uh, in these cases, these are all three uh, employees of nursing homes. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a sad thing. And when it hits uh, and, and hits an outbreak in a certain facility, it can be very, very dangerous. So we're seeing that most of the other uh, kinds of claims that we see are somebody being out of, out of work for a day or two, not, it's a, it's a fairly small percentage where there's a, a medical treatment or hospitalization. Um, as we know there, it does hit some people very hard, others, it's uh, it's sort of a passing uh, illness that's unpleasant for a few days, but uh, is not uh, something that requires a lot of treatment So that's the that's the first impact in terms of claims um, the other impact of course is this uh, change uh, in our uh, Way of work in cases of many people being furloughed for instance or even laid off uh, So we're seeing our payroll shrink uh, workers comp of course is sort of a um you pay what you, uh, what you use, uh, in terms of, uh, you, know, you charge, your rate is, is charged against your payroll dollars. And so we're seeing those plummet, uh, in, uh for certain industries in particular, uh, they're actually increasing and sometimes in some of the health, uh, related uh, industries and so others, but, but certainly we're seeing that go down. So we're seeing exposure, uh, decrease, but yet a whole host of claims that we never expected coming into this year. Wow, that is uh, quite a lot to handle. You know,
2: and, and this gets to your point about um, standards around comp and comp claims. You know, it takes a couple weeks uh, for the symptoms to present with the coronavirus. How do you determine where the virus is contracted? I guess it's easier, well, I know it's easier with the, you know, frontline workers and nursing homes and ambulance drivers, healthcare workers, but uh, in other cases, it seems more complex.
3: It is. It is certainly more complex. and. You, um, among the things, in the, it, it makes the initial investigation of the claim hugely important and uh, to really have a, uh, a, the insight to ask some good questions, um, you know, in, in, in health facilities or with anybody, we, we ask for one, uh, make sure there's a positive test, uh, prove that you have it. There's a number, of, a lot of cases that people say, well, I have it, but in fact, that there's no test that shows that. Um, uh, secondly, you take a look and, and ask, okay, were you, was there a confirmed exposure um, to a positive test or somebody with a positive test or more than one even? Um, you know, are you, is there something peculiar to your work that would uh, expose you? Um, and so, you know, as you say, the healthcare workers, that's a little easier hurdle. Um, when you get out into the larger world, it's harder to say. One of the questions we ask is about family members, what kind of work they do, where they've been, if any of them have had the illness or anybody close to you. Um, and oftentimes, you know, it's, it's passed around within family units, uh, more so than in a workplace. So it is a, it is a delicate, uh, a delicate investigation that has to happen. And you really just have to, you have to dig in and, and answer and, and, and find the answers to those questions.
2: Well, while we're still on the um, coverage issues, we know that some states uh, have taken some pretty disturbing uh, measures. Uh, you know, noteworthy is uh, California's Governor Newsom with his executive order creating a rebuttable presumption that any COVID 19 related illness and employees presume to arise out of or in the course of employment for purposes of work comp. I mean, these are, I mean, this is changing the rules of the, of the, um, coverage, you know, after the fact, not unlike the retro business interruption insurance uh, legislation that we have been working
3: on. Have you have you seen that develop in uh, the states where you're operating? We we haven't. Um, we're seeing some of some movement in that direction, and um, you know, some concern about it. Obviously, it is a change of the insurance contract after the contract's been issued. Um, the uh, the standard arising out of in the course of employment is a pretty durable standard. It has worked very, very well for decades, um, 100 years really in the workers comp uh, world. And to to abruptly change that and flip that presumption really is a a big deal and potentially hugely expensive. And we've seen some of the estimates out of California, um, tens of billions of dollars, maybe two times what uh, losses were within the California uh, workers comp, uh, industry last year. So, I mean, that's, and those are just related to COVID that doesn't have anything to do with any other, you know, claims that occur this year. So, um, those are really dangerous things that we're seeing happen. Um, and, uh, we're, we are acting, we think very responsibly within the market and, uh, within our, uh, with our customer group, and certainly, you know, healthcare workers have, uh, have had exposure and we're finding it, and those claims are clearly compensable and we're, and are being paid. To, um, to legislate a change at this point is, is really, as you know, Chuck, very dangerous and, uh, and could swamp the industry. Uh, you know, NCCI is estimated anywhere from $3 billion to uh, 35 or $40 billion uh, just in the states that it uh, exists. And I see it estimates up to $90 billion in terms of losses uh, related to workers' comp. Um, the total total premium in the workers' comp field was uh, around $45 billion or so. Uh, Last year, so it gives you a little sense of the scale uh, that we're talking about
2: Well, and we know that this is part of what you depend on NAMIC for and I can assure you that uh, Our advocates both uh, well in all states um, are active on this and and Have been fairly successful to this point and where we see measures taken that uh, we believe are illegal or exceed the uh, authority of uh, elected leaders policymakers um, we will also be filing lawsuits and, and in the case of uh, the example I just gave, um, there's active consideration of that now because, uh, you know, retroactively changing, uh, contracts, you know, could have the effect down the road of basically, uh, you know, destroying insurance. How do you write insurance if a contract can be changed after the fact? So these are well understood issues in our industry, but, uh, helping policymakers uh understand is is our task and it is it is a challenge um not just in comp but also in uh, business interruption which has probably had most of the uh publicity
3: us right. turn the attention yeah, a little d- bit to go ahead I'm just Mike. going to say Chuck I, I just I'm really appreciative the that's work there because um your both your knowledge your outreach and ability to sort of keep track of what's happening in the various states has been really helpful for us in terms of tracking what we see. Um, I gotta say that, uh, you know, around California, if California was a major marketing territory for me at the time, I would be pulling out of that market. It wouldn't be a place that I'd want to do business for that very reason. And I think you, that, that that's what the risk you run with sort of the political activity that's occurring.
2: You know, isn't that the California conundrum always around insurance on the one hand, so many things happen in the market that make carriers reconsider their commitment to the market. On the other hand, you know, a population that size, the economic activity that size, uh, proves to be enticing. So that's right. It is a challenge. It's something I'm sure, um, all companies, um, you know, consider routinely. Uh, let's turn a little bit to, um, States opening up. Uh, you mentioned earlier, perhaps before we started recording that, uh, Maine is beginning to open up. Uh, I'm here in Indiana now where also there's been a uh, multi-point plan outlined by the governor that will begin to open up uh, businesses get the economy going again. I know MIMIC released a safety procedures template to guide the employers that you insure. Um, do you have some guidance on what employers should concentrate on as people return to the office?
3: Yeah I mean I think you know the some of the things that we we've talked about are, are things that people you know, have come to understand and experience already, Um, but uh, now being able to put them in place in a workplace, uh, you know, defining, um, you know, social distancing, masking, all of those things, deep cleans of of areas, not having people uh, congregate in the same uh, uh, concentrations as they might have in the past. So one of the things we're trying to do is be a model for many of our customers. um, And we're expecting uh, probably sometime in June to begin to make our way back uh, to offices for for employees who are ready to go back. We're we're trying to be very, very careful about, um, you know within this circumstance, everybody has a personal uh, challenge, whether it's kids at home or whether it's older uh, parents who you may have to regularly interface with or take care of and you worry about carrying the virus back to them. So uh, you know the advice we're we're giving employers is to be uh, to step very carefully and to, to take your time that rushing back uh, would like, is likely to lead to, to more of a challenge uh, down the road it may end up costing you more down the road. But putting in place uh, the, the simple engineering controls and then creating cultural controls within your organization for, uh, health checks daily, checking in, making sure, you know, before anybody arrives at a workplace that they're feeling well, and uh, some places are certainly instituting temperature taking and that sort of thing. That's not something we plan, um, as, uh, you know, we know now that so many people uh, who have this disease are asymptomatic, they don't actually show uh, uh, some symptoms. So it, it does become, become very difficult. Uh, but uh, you know, I think I think that's that's what we've suggested to people for the most part is to take it slow, uh, and to reduce concentration, particularly uh, you know, for indoor businesses. Uh, you know, those of us who work in a in a single space um, have that challenge. And uh, you know, whereas construction, uh, you have a little more uh, at this point in the year, at least open air construction that's occurring more likely to be able to, to stay safe and out of uh, out of harm's way. Um, but, uh, that's, those are, those are all things. We have a sample plan that people can adopt as their own. And, uh, we've got lots of folks who are, we're starting to, to come in and, and take advantage of that.
2: Well, that's very helpful. And I think that is the guidance that a lot of businesses are following. as they uh, look at return to office. Uh, finally, as we're running out of time, I, I want to close on a really positive note, uh, and I first plug our dynamic, um, website has the COVID-19 resource. It includes the um, compliance information that you referenced earlier in terms of tracking comp measures around the country and in the areas where you do business. Um, it includes a variety of different tools that uh, that our members can use to stay informed about uh, what's happening. But it also includes stories we've collected of uh, member companies, uh, you know, in their own challenging times. I mean, your company has you know, gone. I'm sure for the first time, to 100% or near 100% remote work. Uh, you've still done an excellent job for your policyholders. We think about our mutual insurance companies being aligned with their policyholders, serving their communities, being such important corporate citizens in the places where they where they work. And I just thought I'd, I'd let you kind of wrap up with that story, and maybe other stories I'm not aware of, but the one I saw with uh, Maine Mutuals uh, gathering together. Uh, probably a month ago. Can you tell us about that and anything else MAMIC
3: is doing to give back that's extraordinary? Chuck, thanks. That's, uh, um, I'm happy to do that. We, um, uh, we're faced, you know, one of the things we, we do con- uh, a few times a year at MAMIC is host, uh, blood drives. And we know that we've got a lot of regular donors. It's an easy thing for many of us to do, and it's an easy way to contribute to the community. Well, uh, through COVID, uh, and the, quarantining responses that have resulted thousands literally tens of thousands of blood drives have been canceled across the country and including uh, more than 50 uh, in our region and so uh, knowing that Maine has a, a great uh, number of really great mutual insurers uh, we we do, we have a lot of the market here we're all friends um we uh, gathered uh, at the behest of a, of a uh, Maine Health which is one of our larger uh, healthcare organizations in the state who has helped to sponsor a series of blood drives, and along with uh, MMG and Patrons Oxford and Patriot Mutual, uh, main employers mutual insurance company, MAMIC, we we teamed up to uh, to do a blood drive that was effectively socially distanced, that was um, it turned out to be oversubscribed. We helped to have a hundred people donate that day. We had 115, and uh, uh, we think also uh, through social media have inspired another at least that number uh, to go in in the weeks that follow but we were one of the early uh, groups to take advantage of this and uh, jump in together and do it and i'm very proud of the response that we all uh, were able to bring forward both through our employees our customers our agents uh, all participating that's a great story mike thanks
2: so much for uh, the time today on the podcast and uh, thank you for the work you're doing for your policyholders and uh, your employees and all the stakeholders that depend on MIMIC uh, in these uncertain times. Thanks for being with us.
3: Well, thank you and thank you for all Memic is doing to, to, uh, to uh, track things for us and to be our representatives.
0: And that's a wrap for us this week on Insurance Uncovered. I'd like to say a special thank you to VPay, the total payment solution for sponsoring this episode. We'll be back with the podcast on May 27th with more insurance news and interviews. Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a wonderful day.